Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us! This is our Facebook Track this I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month we're reading a I don't want to put this down book. <laughs> Seven oh, Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I gotta admit, this has been the perfect selection for January and an escape for me, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Relationships are so complex, and through Evelyn's ongoing gambit, we witnessed just that. Now, last week we shared some uncensored stories and challenged ourselves to disclose our perspectives on intimacy, unbiased love, and divorce. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> we did that. We <laughs> sure did. <laughs> And we wish that everyone could always love who they love freely Seriously. and be who they are without judgment. Amen. Yeah. E, mm. go ahead and express yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind if I do. <laughs> For today's cocktail pairing, instead of getting a Ricardo original this week, we're getting a classic that has been named one of the cocktail canon's most successful Prohibition-era drinks. Today's cocktail is the last word. Our bartender was inspired to choose this drink for today's episode by the women having the last word in their relationships, Monique with David and Celia with Evelyn. Here to share the recipe for this last word is the bartender with all the words, Ricardo. Yeah, Ricardo. Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hey. Hi. How are you? Fabulous. Good. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Thank (laughs) you for beating Mariana. Thank you. She's quick. (laughs) So today we are going to explore this pre-prohibition era cocktail called The Last Word. Oh. Cocktail that has been forgotten for a long time and rediscovered several times during the last century. It's a particular cocktail because unfortunately we need an ingredient that is not super common, that is the green chartreuse. And this cocktail calls for equal part, three quarter of an ounce of each ingredient. So the first ingredient is the green chartreuse. The second ingredient is a maraschino liqueur. The third ingredient is gin and the fresh squeezed orange, uh, lime juice. Okay. <laughs> Orange would be weird. Uh, we shake our cocktail and uh, we strain it up in a chilled glass and we garnish it with a cherry. And okay. that's pretty much it. Uh, the, the interesting thing about this cocktail is that it was invented in the, in the pre-prohibition era and it was slowly forgotten until the 50s when it was rediscovered in Detroit where it became oh, wow. like super popular. And then forgotten for another 30 or 40 years after the 60s. uh, And it was used as a base for new cocktails, new modern cocktail, like my favorite Mm -hmm. cocktail, that is the Paper Plane created by Sam Ross in 2008 here in New York, is based on this recipe. So it's a very interesting cocktail because it, it, it lets you play 
a lot with the ingredients, substituting like another bartender substituted gin with rye and lemon instead of lime juice. Oh. Uh, okay. And the flavor profile is completely different. And yeah. of course, Chartreuse, it's a very particular liquor. It's still made by the French monks that they started producing it in the uh, 18th century. But oh my gosh. It's very unique and particular, and I hope you enjoy it. Oh, yeah, I had never had it before, but it's delicious. Yes. Good. I'm glad you <laughs> like pleasantly it. Pleasantly surprised. Why should yeah. you say that? Because you always do amazing cocktails. He always pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. So, la vostra salute, ragazzi. Enjoy the last Gracias, word. Ricardo. Thank you. <laughs> Ciao. Thanks, Ricardo. Bye. Bye. All right, chicas. Salute. Yeah. Salute. Marianne is already drinking. I know. I was like, here. okay, <laughs> going for it right now. Guys. Mm. Yeah. She's delightful, mm-hmm. this last word. Mm. Oh, I've never had green chartreuse before. I, I've never Neither had chartreuse I. before. I didn't even know it existed. Me either. It's amazing. It's so cool. It's so botanical. Yeah, well, he was saying, I was asking him what was in it, because to me, it reminded me a lot of the Pernod cocktail that we had had mm-hmm. a while ago. And he right. was saying that nobody knows what's in uh, chartreuse because it's a blend of like 130 different herbs or something. Oh, How crazy wow. is that? That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Nobody knows yes. the recipe. We're drinking mm-hmm. the monk stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's why they've been monks. doing it since the 18th century. They really enjoyed it. <laughs> <Right>. chartreuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brandy, take us into what All we right, are exploring. All right, let's get into this. Yeah, express yourself, B. <laughs> oh. All right, I will. This week, in a move that is strictly business, Evelyn marries Clever Rex North, her Anna Karenina co-star, in order to boost box office sales. And their situation seems to work well enough for them both until Rex falls in love with and impregnates someone else. Mm-hmm. A happy accident that leads Evelyn to some of the greatest years of her life. To help explain the divorce with Rex, she fakes an affair with Harry, and the two of them end up married. The perfect beards for each other, since hmm. Harry is in love with John Braverman, none other than Celia's husband. Whoa. <laughs> Once, yeah. I know. Once Celia and Evelyn reconcile, the four go on to live many happy years as the best of friends. Married as supposedly heterosexual couples, but finally able to be with the people they love, albeit in secret. Harry and Evelyn, with Celia and John's blessing, have a child together, and everything seems mostly idyllic until Evelyn makes the rash decision to perform an explicit sex scene in a movie with one of her ex-husbands without asking Celia first. Heartbroken, Celia leaves for good this time. She gets the last fucking word. (laughs) Years later, to help alleviate some of Harry's pain after John's death... Evelyn makes the movie that finally wins her her Oscar, working with Max Gerard, the director who helped pull her, put her back on the map all those years ago. And he's in love with her, wants to marry her, and asks her to leave Harry for him. In the meantime, Celia, it seems, has moved on with a new flame, and Monique has finally told Dave they both need to move on. Well, I'll be the first to say it. What a lot happened this week, huh? <laughs> so much Seriously, in these chapters. So much. Before we get into it, I also have an admission. 
something I need to admit. So as you two know, this weekend I was driving back with Andrew to New York and I had had yet read these sections. So I decided to listen to the audio portion. And I got to say that the readers, I need to like shout them out because they were fantastic. Alma Cuervo, who did Evelyn, Robin Miles, who did Monique, and this wonderful actress, Julia Whelan. She did the voice of the like the paparazzi in the tabloids. Oh wow! They were fantastic. Oh, how fun! So I'm actually a little interested in seeing like how much I retained or may- how my interpretation will be different this week. Yeah, that's as opposed so to reading along, because it was a it was a different experience. Yeah, I can totally see that. Well, the well, first. I- oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you, no, no, go. you go. No, you go. No, you go. No, you. No, Hugo. <laughs> Hugo. Get it? Yes. No, Evelyn Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got it there, M's. Okay, just making sure. She's just expressing herself. True. You go on. You this go on. This is the on. first time I'm drinking a double for this episode, so watch out. You better, you better get to work. That's a big double. <laughs> okay, but what were you going to say, Brandy? I was going to say... I really respected the relationship that Evelyn and Rex had. I feel like mm. they both knew why they were in it. They both had their separate lives with other people. It didn't really ever seem to get weird. And two years into their marriage, when he tells her he's in love with someone else and that he wants to marry that person, Ugh. I feel like Evelyn really like bends over backwards to make it work for him. And I loved that they parted ways with the clink of martini glasses. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, oh, right. That's, a, that's how you really know that they're they're good. It was a mutual acceptance and relationship, yeah. I say yes to that, except I was kind of, like, pissed off when he tried to sleep with her, even Mm. though they had that understanding that Mm -hmm. that wasn't part of their relationship. And he basically, like, almost forced himself on her. She almost let him, and then she thinks to herself, never let anyone make you feel ordinary, and then she made him leave. So I was like, Mm. okay, at least she's not letting it go there, because they did have that understanding, and he tried to break that agreement. So that was like a no-no for me. Hmm. But aside from that... The only... I had pause about that moment, too, but the only... The only thing that made me feel like I could still sort of be on his side is that I feel like Evelyn admits in that moment that she kind of wanted it too she herself is conflicted about whether or not she wants to sleep with him she's and so i feel like she's you know i feel like she's a little push and pull battling yeah she's push and pull but then once she finally says this is not gonna fucking happen he moves it the fuck on Mm. i was like all right i'm good with that rex and it was also interesting because he did say that he never wanted to get married he wasn't about that but then he goes on to then or has the realization that Judy was always someone that he truly wanted. And then when he was, she was about to have his baby, he was Wait, like, Joy? I have to do the right thing. Yeah, oh, he said Judy, his Joy. Yes. Maybe in the audiobook yeah. it was Judy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I just heard Judy, but it was Joy. <laughs> yeah. The first thing I took note of from the first from chapter 31 where we started mm-hmm. that just really made me so sad was when Evelyn... Uh, she heard Louisa, her yeah. I don't, maid, assistant, housekeeper. I don't housekeeper. know like what how to really title her. She was speaking in Spanish on the phone, and then Evelyn responded in Spanish, and Louisa was so caught off guard because she had no idea that she was Cuban. Yeah, she reminded me of that conversation we were having last week about that, mm-hmm. about her identity, and like what that must have done to her 
this was, I feel like we've kind of lost sight of that storyline yeah. because we're so mm-hmm. involved in the marriages. But The drama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was nice to see a touch of that, you know, that that definitely still is under underneath everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought it up because it kind of confirmed what we were saying or at least chatting about because Evelyn goes on to say, instead of trying to make my way in the world as a Cuban woman, I've simply forsook where I came from. In some ways, this helped me realize or release, excuse me, any remaining ties connecting me to my father. Yeah. yeah. So she had a very unstable relationship with her dad because of who he was. And in a way, as we've said many times on the podcast, that we are very impressionable as kids and the way we're treated as children, a lot of times we either detach ourselves, disassociate from the pain from that. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for her, her way out was simply forgetting about her ethnicity. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I love the friendship that seems to sort of Completely. bloom between her and Louisa. Like, she yeah. doesn't get rid of her. Yeah, and she's her she then right makes hand. a point that, like, Louisa comes with her everywhere. Mm-hmm. Every house she moves to, even across the country, Louisa comes too. And I sort of loved that. It, I feel like it's almost her way of keeping her identity close yep. without mm-hmm. getting it too close but also imagine all of the secrets that louisa knows that she has kept imagine like how many times she could have leaked and gotten paid so much money for that information but she would not she's she's loyal she didn't yeah she's loyal she's she's just a good person there was an understanding there i felt like from what we read this week was the first time that i was reminded of the me too movement i feel like this Mm, book is kind of like the very beginning of that i'll you know although this goes back to the 1950s we could have set the beginning of the me too movement back then probably even prior to then you know um but it it i was seeing so many correlations this time Mm -hmm. how it could have been that back then well well. we're basically seeing like the birth of the reason for the me too movement at least in the film industry right which kind of does break my heart because i feel like evelyn instead of fighting against that culture she's like fuck it i want what i want i'll play that game Mm -hmm. no problem and i sort of admire her for that but yeah at the same time it's hard not to be like oh but like right you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to do all this shit right to get where you want have either of you seen The Morning Show? Oh, yes. Love I know it. I'm behind, but I'm binging that now. I'm taking a pause from the affair, and I'm watching The Morning Show. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean- Great choices. <laughs> you know, I'm, I have a lot of time at home now. Um, <laughs> but again, I'm seeing so many parallels mm-hmm. in that show and this book. Oh, yeah. Like every mm-hmm. time now I watch that show, I- I'm reminded of something that happened in this book. Now, when I read this book, it reminds me of a scenario in the show. And it's just like you said, you know, it's so sad that women for this long have had to go through what they went through to have the careers that they should be able to get without having to be sexually molested or abused for it. Right. To continue Uh, the momentum. Because if they didn't follow through and play the game, then they would be washed away. Right. The things that they do to protect these men. I mean, we, 
I feel like we've been talking about this a lot, and that's fine because it is a really important subject matter, but it's just like it's so infuriating that it keeps coming up because it keeps coming up. Because it keeps because it's, still it's here. been decades and decades yeah. and centuries of, you know, be- oppression. Okay. I don't want to get into that. I want to talk about Evelyn and Harry. <laughs> oh. No, right. like, yes. that moment when they were staging the dual affairs oh. and they were in the car together. And, I like, part of me was like, this is so weird. But also, like, it just affirmed even more for me how much I love them together. I did, too. And when Harry kind of said, I've always wanted to sleep with you. And I think he said it kind of coyly, <laughs> like, as a joke. But a part of me did feel like these two fucking love each other like I think at that moment at least I thought like if they only ever get to be together I would think that's enough because they're so they're both so willing to like jump in each other's boats Mm -hmm. you know what I mean no matter what's happening they're there to save the other one as so beautiful as Harry is holding Connor and holding Evelyn's hand he says I am absolutely positive that I need you more than I ever needed another living soul Oh. They are soulmates. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's discussion of that in the book, how there's mm-hmm. like different types of soulmates and stuff, which I totally believe, too. There are different types of soulmates that you can have. And they're definitely they were they were meant to find they each other. There's no another. question. Yeah. Do you think either of you could have staged something like that with one of your gay best friends? Do you think that you could have like explored that relationship? Absolutely. Me too. Yeah, there's something about, I guess, I don't know if to call it an infatuation that you have with a gay best friend, Mm. that there's this like admiration, adoration, love, respect, a different kind of kingship and friendship that you don't necessarily find Mm -hmm. with someone that's interested in the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And it feels safe. It feels really safe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So I get it. I get it why they were able to do this. I get it why they, why they loved each other so much and why they decided to have a child together. It makes perfect sense. And I like that they named her Connor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a question that I sort of had, though, was like, if you if you were Celia and John, could you picture yourself being okay with your significant other having a child, <sighs> physically having a child? Mm. With someone else, because it seems like Celia and John are around as like aunt and uncle, but they're not parents in the way that Evelyn and Harry are. I thought about that a lot. And I think it would have been different if the father of the child hadn't been Harry. I think because Mm -hmm. he was in their circle and part of that friend group, I think it made it a lot easier than if it had been some other Joe Schmo that Mm. she wanted to have a kid yeah. with or was with. So I think that made it easier. But, I mean, I it doesn't seem like Celia's thrilled to be yeah. right. not raising, but semi-raising that kid that she has nothing to do with. Right. And I think that was one of the reasons why Celia eventually left once again, and this time for good. Because you mean when she had the last word? When she had the last <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that. Oh, Wait, yes. where's yours, Brandy? Oh, there I go. got it. I've got it. I was late. I was late to the party on that one. <laughs> this was one of the reasons because Celia can't, couldn't have all of Evelyn. Mm. Mm. That part of right. her being able to share 
or provide a child, she couldn't she couldn't do it. I mean, there's a lot more reasons, but I think one of the reasons is that she they didn't have that connection and she never felt that Evelyn was fully her whole self with her. I have to say, though, I was a little upset with Celia for this second breakup about the sex scene. Girl, me too. Are we we going to go there? Good, because I was scared to bring this up because I was like, oh, they're both going to gang up on me. They're both going to be on Celia's side. But I'm like, why does Evelyn have to constantly keep apologizing for who the fuck she is to make Celia happy? I was so annoyed. What did you make of this? I know. I want to see. I want to know what Mariana thinks, though. (laughs) She's making a face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is how I heard it. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. Uh, My defense is. (laughs) 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 I found during these sections for not only Evelyn to realize this, but I realize this of Evelyn, that she is selfish. And Celia called her out on this. She, well, here, I, here, (laughs) because I think about it two ways, because I want everything and why can't someone have everything? And because of Celia's insecurities, she would have to hurt Evelyn as her response to like how hurt she was being. So she wanted Evelyn to feel that hurt too. Deep down inside, she was like, I'm hurting. You Mm -hmm. need to hurt as well. Mm -hmm. But Evelyn does... She does come out and say that she was willing to do anything at the expense of the sanctity of their relationship. She was willing to do it. But Celia is always willing to leave, too. So where where is the sanctity in that? Because Celia has been hurt over and over again. And her insecurity of not having Evelyn just to herself was too much to bear. So I but think that's both an unreasonable fault. expectation that you can have an entire person all to yourself. Yeah. To me, that seems just completely unreasonable. To me, that's I think the she's selfish. Being unreasonable. That's the selfish exactly. act. In my but opinion. I agree. There was a point in time that Evelyn did want. She was like, "We're willing to risk everything," but then she backpedaled because she wasn't. And this was towards the beginning that they were willing to risk everything when they reunited again. Oh, but at then, the Oscars when they yeah, made out in the bathroom? Yeah, in the bathroom. That at the end of that section, it was something to the effect of, like, now we know that we're both really willing to risk our fame, our fortune, right. our our stardom to be with one another. And they right. started doing that. And they knew that because, again, in the 50s, because of what we talked about last week, they had to be each other's beards, like all this stuff, or have their husbands be each other's beard, all of that. But then why... I don't know. I just think that that they're both at fault here. I can't take one side or the other. I think Evelyn was selfish at times. And I also think that Celia didn't need to hurt her the way that she did. But for her, it was too much to face again, not having Evelyn fully for herself. Whatever that may mean for her. But if you're not fully connected to someone or you don't feel that connection on a daily, it's hard. I just I think the thing that I'm really struggling with there is how quickly Celia is to leave her. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to to voice your frustration and your anger and your hurt. But then, you know, you take time. You talk about it. You try to work it out. It doesn't seem like she's even trying to work it out. She's just like, no. I'm and then out. she's like, I'm out. And then she leaves so fast. So there isn't even time for them to to talk about it, to to see if they can get through it. Yeah, she just pieces out so fast. But that's the same way that 
and we were going to talk about this later, but when Evelyn decides very quickly to do this explicit scene, sex scene in that movie without really putting into consideration like how Celia would feel about it, she does it very quickly and decides to do it very quickly. Yes, it's her career and yes, it's her choice whether or not to do it, but she still doesn't really think about it. But beyond being her career and her choice, I think this was something that was super important for Evelyn to do. I I do agree with that. She felt like it was part of her mission. I think she felt like for so long she had had to be like a plaything to men or that she had had to serve men. And I think she saw this as an opportunity to stand up change for the her narrative. gender. Yeah. Yeah. And I change the narrative and say, no, like we we deserve this, too. And I think on some level she knew that if she put this to Celia, Celia would say no. no yeah. Even though it was so important to her. Yeah. And I think that's why she went ahead and did it anyway. And so I kind of feel like. If you're in a relationship with somebody who can't recognize something that's so important to you, what's going on there anyway? Mm. Like, are you going to be able to remain happy with yourself if you're always walking around on eggshells for this person? Mm. Like, as as in love as they are, is that the right fit? I actually I asked Ricardo this question uh, before this episode today. I was like... Oh, juicy. Well... It, you know, in a sense, I said, how do you, what do you think? How do you feel? Do you think that if I were posed with that possibility of filming this like graphic sex scene or or anything, do you think I should run these things by you before I do it? Or do you think that because it's my career and it's my profession and I am my own individual and person that I can, I get to decide on the choices that I make in that field? And he said, yes. And then he said, what would be really hard and what I think is what what actually is the final straw for Celia is that it's not just any guy. It's her ex-husband, ex-husband. who was really abusive to her. And I think mm-hmm. that really does – that makes a difference. It's not – I still am on your side on this, Brandy, or who you know, whoever's side. I, I do, I'm on Evelyn's side. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't agree with Celia's uh, reaction, but I do think that Evelyn needs to acknowledge the fact that it wasn't just any actor. It was her ex-husband who was really abusive to her. I'm still glad she made the decision. I still fully support that. Yeah. And I think I 100 percent think that she probably should have checked with Celia first. I would I would definitely check with my husband Mm -hmm. first if I was going to be doing something like that. But I also don't think that if I told Jason something was super important to me and if I explained to him why it was important to me, I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's any fucking way he would say anything other than if it's important to you, you should do that. End of story. If we need to go to therapy later, we go to therapy later. Right. <laughs> we work on it. You work right. through you it. Communicate. You communicate. You don't run it. away. Right. right. Celia right. did say that it will be the tragedy of my life that I cannot love you enough to make you mine. So there is Very this obsession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Evelyn does say that she, I think Evelyn says it, that she thinks Celia did always sort of have this block in her mind about not being able to because Evelyn is bisexual and considers herself bisexual and because Evelyn enjoys sex with men Mm -hmm. Celia sort of always has this block in her head about like well I'm not a man and I can't give that Mm -hmm. to you again it's coming from an insecurity yeah 
That she's not enough. And that she'll never be able to be everything Evelyn wants, mm. even though she is. Oh. So this is something that I wanted to ask both of you. Now that we're talking about this explicit sex scene with Mr. John Adler. <laughs> goddamn Don Adler. Goddamn Don Adler. <laughs> when Max pitches this explicit scene, Evelyn doesn't really hesitate, like I said, or take enough time to think over it. She doesn't complicate the repercussions, as we've kind of chatted, of what could potentially happen with Celia. What she does go on and say is, I wanted to show a woman getting off. I like the idea of showing a woman having sex because she wanted to be pleased Mm -hmm. instead of being desperate to please, which Mm. Mariana truly respects. I really respect this. Yeah. Evelyn goes on to express that that day on set, which was a close set, she was able to truly let go. I was present and wild and unrestrained more than I ever have been on film, more than I ever have been since. It was a moment of purely imagined reckless euphoria. I have often thought about this and I've actually been posed and confronted with the offer. Really? Yeah. So I'll explain that to you guys later. Oh. And I wanted to know how would you two feel if confronted with this dilemma and if offered a role with an explicit sex scene on and off stage, how would you go about that? You know, more than ever, aside from many of the TV shows and films, and before the shutdown happened, new and popular Broadway shows hired intimacy coordinators to make these scenes Mm -hmm. as graphic, as real, but as safe as possible. You know, for example, Audra McDonald and Michael Shannon in the Broadway revival of Frankie and Johnny Mm -hmm. in the Claire de Lune, which I saw, Mm -hmm. and they were absolutely fabulous in it. So... For you guys, would you guys take the role? How do you feel about exposing yourselves in this way? And do you think you would get to that place of imagined reckless euphoria? Or have you ever booked a role and you've actually gone through it like I have? Hmm. (laughs) I want to hear about that role. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, I have a rule that I won't do nudity or graphic sexual scenes unless the script really needs it. Mm-hmm. Like if it helps tell the story and it's not simply gratuitous having nudity just for the sake of showing a naked woman, I'm game. I haven't come across that in film yet, but I did do a musical <laughs> back in the day that called for full body nudity, full frontal nudity, whatever. And I had several discussions with the director about it prior to taking on the role because I wanted to make sure it would be done in a stylized mm. enough way with lighting and blocking that it didn't seem, you know, in your face. It was also like a really tiny theater and it was in my hometown. So this was like terrifying. <laughs> I'm sure. But it, it was a beautiful scene in a bathtub that I knew it needed to be all or nothing. Um, I agree with you, Mariana. Like, I totally respect why Evelyn made the choice to go through with that sex scene. Because of what it meant for how Mm -hmm. she was representing women in a sexual context that hadn't been explored or been allowed to explore before. And I would have made the same choice. Like I said before, does doing that scene with your ex-husband who also physically abused Mm -hmm. you add a very sticky layer to that scenario? Absolutely. But that's another discussion which we kind of already touched on. Right. If the question is, would I take a role that required that of me for that reason? Yes. To answer the second part of your question about reaching a place of imagined reckless euphoria, that is 
That's like, that's a hard one to answer. <laughs> I imagine it would be really hard, but it also depends on the circumstance. For mm-hmm. instance, one of the last films I shot started with an intimate making out in bed scene. And I was wearing a nightie and the actor was in underwear. So neither of us were naked mm-hmm. because it wasn't necessary for the storytelling. But the whole film, the whole time we were filming that maybe 30 second moment, I kept thinking about the technicalities of it, you know, where my hand was in relation to the camera so that I wasn't blocking his face, where my hair was falling so it didn't block my face, keeping my hips lifted off of his so I didn't crush him with my weight, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. In film, when you have a camera who has to pick up certain moments, you have to be aware of where the camera is so that you don't ruin the shot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. However, in stage, mm-hmm. in theater, when you have more freedom in that sense, because the entire audience is your camera and you just have more playing space, you don't have to think so technically and it can be easier to get lost in the imaginary circumstances. Also in shooting a sex scene for film, you have a certain amount of time allotted to getting the scene, but typically, you know, you'd have one day or half a day to do it. I don't know, it depends on the scene. But in theater, you have the entire run of the show to keep doing it. So with time, Mm. you keep building the comfortability with it. And that's when I imagine you could possibly experience a place of imagined reckless euphoria. (laughs) But I do feel like that's kind of scary because then you're like really losing yourself in that. And that's when you have to be careful that you're careful that you're still being the actor. Right. Yes. It's a great question. It's so complicated. It is complicated, but that's a fantastic answer. That was a long answer. I had a lot to say about that. That that question had a lot to it. I'm like, let me break this down. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I have to say, I really love this question. And I agree with everything Emma said. But I do sort of hate that as women, we have to answer this question because mm. I feel like for men, this would never be a consideration. If mm. you're a man, you're nude and it's no problem in a movie or on stage. If you're a man, you do an intimate sex scene, it's no problem. What you do know. you mean it's no problem for the man or like it's no problem that they should be cons- that they have to consider doing it? I think that it's no problem for them in terms of like they're not going to they're, they don't risk being viewed in any kind of way oh. because of it. Mm. Whereas women do have this extra consideration mm. of of potentially being viewed as something by the public because of, you know, what you're deciding sure. to do. That's so true. I remember, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this movie. Did you guys ever see The Brown Bunny with Chloe Sevigny? No. no. So this was, this was a wild back i think i saw this movie in like the 2000s uh-huh. but chloe sevigny gives a very real blowjob in this movie oh. to the lead actor who i'm pretty sure is also the director of the movie oh. oh and i remember seeing that and it's a real blowjob like you see it it happens in front of the camera Whoa. and i remember seeing that and being like oh my god i could never i could never do that but i remember thinking like how crazy ballsy is it literally ballsy (laughs) literally ballsy (laughs) literally ballsy no um how ballsy to do that when you know that people are probably going to come after you for quote-unquote being a certain kind of woman and i couldn't help but really admire her for fucking going for it um 
I think I think I agree with what you said, Emma, that like I for me, it would have to be a question of like, do I like this script enough? Is it important to the story? Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do fucking hate that there's this sort of like sanctity mm-hmm. around the naked female form or a woman having sex. Like for what? Mm-hmm. We don't do that for men. So why the fuck does it matter? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Double you standard know? once again. Yeah, big time. I hate that. Yeah. Well, I I definitely agree with you both. I would I would do something an explicit scene like actually being completely in the nude. Because the scene that I'm going to tell you wasn't in the nude, but I was in lingerie. And it was very... Risque. Yes. But if it was... If I was telling a story that I really wanted to tell, if I believed in that role, that it wasn't just being done in a salacious way, that it wasn't just for that. Yeah. And that both me and my counterpart were going to be safe. And there were many discussions prior because mm. yeah. it would ultimately be my choice and Andrew has always been very supportive of that but I want to make sure that my counterpart understands that yeah. safety comes first mm. and I'm all about an intimacy coordinator too I yes. think that is oh, super sure. important so and that could only yeah that could only make everybody feel more comfortable and especially for think. like what Emily what you were saying on stage on stage is a very there's the dynamics are very different. Yeah. Yeah. And you're very much exposed because there's not a take two. It's you're, right. you're there. You're 100%. a lot more vulnerable. <laughs> and you don't have ways. cameras like all up in your face. So you're, exactly. you're more it's easier, I think, to fall into the world. Yes. Yes. And especially for a long yeah. running show. So right. I did scorned love kills on ID Discovery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's so weird because, sorry to interrupt, but the sure. musical that I talked about where I was naked was called Love Kills. Oh. Weird. So, that's really weird. That's really weird. <laughs> okay, sorry. Please continue. I know Scorn Love Kills. Great. But anyway, so I was younger and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be on national TV. It's like, you know, cable network. A lot of people are going to see me. I actually am going to have lines and there's going to be an extended scene. Like, this is exciting. But it was a non-union job. So the intimacy coordinator was in there. It was a close set. The director was very particular and very blunt about our safety. So I felt protected. But I'm sure if it were a union job, it would have been a whole different thing. I would yeah. have had to, the contract would have involved a lot of things of what could happen, what couldn't happen, and who would stop it if something did not go as mm-hmm. planned. Mm-hmm. What mm. was so interesting is because we had the director was kind of choreographing everything. And yeah. it was like what you were saying, Emma, it was so precise and like the hand here and now the kiss here and now you're going to like get up on each other here and then the leg is over here and you're in lingerie and we want to show a little bit of this boob and a little bit of that. So it was just, right. it was so, it was so technical right. that it never felt that you could get to this place of unreckless euphoria. Like that, that was never yeah. a thing and that never scared me. I just, I really appreciated the choreography. Because it mm-hmm. was, it turned into a dance. Mm. Yeah. But what was very funny is the first scene that we shot when I met my counterpart <laughs> that day, the first day on set, I shook his hand and they're like, okay, and now we're going to shoot the scene where it's the morning after and you're saying a loving goodbye. And it's like, okay, <laughs> nice to meet you. And I said two words to this guy and then it was, you were already and you in go. there. Yeah. So it felt very much about the job. As opposed to getting to any other place. Right. Right. 
Which there's like there's a safety in that too. No, absolutely. Totally. I felt being taken totally. care of. Good. Oh, I want to see this episode now. I know. <laughs> well, I sort of have a question for you guys leading off of this moment too. I think it's Monique who comments when Evelyn is telling her this story about shooting this scene with Don. Yeah. Monique says that uh, it's kind of a wonder that Evelyn didn't ask Max to replace Don with somebody else. Mm. And more Mm. and more frequently, we see actors and directors and producers stepping up to say that that kind of behavior on behalf of their stars isn't acceptable. Johnny Depp was recently cut from Fantastic Beasts over his abusive behavior. Mm. A few years back, there were several stars who donated the entirety of their paychecks from Woody Allen film to charity. And Netflix very recently removed Shia LaBeouf's name from four-year consideration materials for Pieces of a Woman in the wake of some pretty horrifying Mm. allegations of physical and emotional abuse, among other things. So I think it's pretty safe to say the three of us have a zero-tolerance policy for abuse of any kind. But I'm wondering how you ladies negotiate this with yourself when it comes to watching a film or listening to music Mm. or appreciating art that was made by perpetrators of abuse or alleged abuse i think the key here be to your question is that we are aware of these allegations and we can choose whether or not we want to continue praising these alleged perpetrators or these perpetrators because as you said we have zero tolerance for this abuse now the disheartening part is until now some of this is coming to light but it still doesn't happen all the time No. Mm -hmm. Or some of it continues to be kept under wraps because of the potential repercussions if things come to light. Yeah. For instance, I was at home and I was watching Goodwill Hunting, which is one of my favorite movies. And I realized that Harvey Weinstein was an executive producer on this film. And And Casey Affleck has a role in that film. Yes, exactly. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, and it sucks. It sucks because this... It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, and this movie keeps on airing. But then I think to myself, there were a lot more individuals involved in this mm. particular film or in films in general or in TV shows. That why, because of this one individual, does everybody also have to pay for it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how yeah. I balance it off mm-hmm. because not everybody has to pay for their horrible and awful... like you know, the things that they did. I feel really similarly. I think this is such a hard question. It is. Because, as you said, I do have zero tolerance policy for this behavior, but I do still watch movies that I know were made by sexual offenders, and I probably listen to music as well, like, without knowing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Or whether I know it or not. While I wouldn't want to contribute monetarily to the success of a movie made by an accuser or a sexual molester by buying a ticket to see it. I do feel like, as you just said, Mariana, by not watching it at all, I'm also not supporting the other artists who made the piece of art. We we briefly touched on that when we were talking about the scandal with West Side Story. You know, everyone was boycotting it. And I was like, but what about all these other young, brilliant artists? And so many of them are making their Broadway debut. And what a terrible way to do that where everyone is just boycotting your production because of this one person so i am on your side i I agree with you wholeheartedly for that 
But I do, I, I do actually think that that brings up a bigger matter, such as did the actors know when they signed on to take a movie directed or exactly. produced by an offender, the history of that abuse? You know, I, I can right. watch something. I can watch something made by a quote unquote terrible person, but I don't think I could accept a project that was helmed by someone who mm-hmm. could do such a thing. And this is a little different because he didn't necessarily abuse anyone, at least that's come to light or that I know of. But anytime I watch Billy Crudup in anything, I think to myself, what a dick. Because you know about his history. Yeah. But like, that's hard because I, I love his work. I, I, I think know. he's a and brilliant he's actor. Especially brilliant in the morning show. He's really good. He's yeah. a great yeah. artist. But yeah. every time I watch him, I think, ugh, you, yeah. you pig. Yeah. 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 I feel that way about Shia LaBeouf, too. I really like Shia LaBeouf's work. I think he's fucking amazing. But then in light of these recent allegations, it also just kind of pisses me off that I feel like I haven't seen this movie yet with Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman. Yeah. But her, just based on the trailer alone, her performance in this movie looks fucking stellar. Mm. And it really pisses me off that what has taken off is not the story of you know what a brilliant performance she gives what's taken off is right Shia LaBeouf is now being removed from for your consideration exactly. materials by Netflix because of what's going on in his life and it's like such bullshit yeah it's bullshit I hate making this comparison but it reminds me of the day that we found out that Georgia flipped the senate And that was the day, obviously, that everything happened in the Capitol. And I was like, how dare you take away the joy that we're supposed to be feeling right now? victory. Yeah. Instead, all anyone is talking about is your bullshit. It's like the same, not same principle. (laughs) No, but I can see where you make the connection. Like, hello. It overshadows the good. Yes, all of the good. Changing subject a little bit. As Emma does all the time. I mean, we have to at some point. Like we have a lot of things to cover. (laughs) The other, the other major event that happened that I don't want us to gloss over is when the four of them, the 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 squad, the power. (laughs) Oh yes, the squad. They moved to New York. Yeah. Right in time for Stonewall. Like I was not expecting. I didn't even. I hadn't thought about that in the timeline but like wow I mean Mm. talk about being able to help in a movement Mm -hmm. yet they can't really because of who they are except for for by oh man that was hard I mean at least they donated a lot of money that's yeah but I can only imagine like you want to fucking be there you want to be on the street saying like yeah this is me too and they can't. And Eve- me too. <laughs> and me too. <laughs> Evelyn even states that she has created a golden prison of <sighs> her own making. Because mm. she wishes she was as courageous and as hopeful as these men were to fight yeah. against what they believed in. Mm-hmm. But because of who she was for the public... There was yeah. no way who she, she could wants fight. to be, who she wants to remain. Exactly. And I think that's why I really feel for her and why I'm so upset at how Celia is mm. responding to all of these things because you really, Evelyn is not just, I have to be delicate about how I phrase this because every person matters. Every person's journey and experiences are valid. Yeah. 
But she Mm -hmm. is in a very different circumstance because of who she is and how well known she is and and what her face and work means to the world. Mm -hmm. So she, like you said, you know, she is kind of in this prison and and it's very um, isolating and it can be like super depressing because you never really can have full control over who you want to be. And that has to Mm -hmm. be so frustrating. And so I think that's partly why I'm so upset is that the one person they're not the one person because she has Harry, but the person that she's in love with, who she wants to be with romantically, is kind of like forgetting that. And mm-hmm. she's a movie star, too, so you'd think that she'd be a little more empathetic to that. Right. I don't right. know. I'm like really feeling sad for Evelyn now all of a sudden. I know. I, I get know. that. I get Heartbreaking. That. And interestingly enough, Harry is the one that has to stop Celia when she's like, I'm going to go out there. And Harry's like, no, 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 no. If yeah. we go out there, that's going to overshadow what's yeah. happening right now. Immediately, the tabloids are going to be like, well, look at these four right. stars. Are look at these two gay? stars. Are they not right. gay? Yeah. Instead yeah, of, the greater good. look at what these men are fighting for. Well, I feel like we can't talk about these chapters without talking about John's death. And Harry's life after he dies is maybe the most devastating Mm. thing that has happened so far in this book, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Their relationship is one that I kept I kept hoping we would get a deeper peek into because we never really get to hear what the conversation with John was Mm. about Harry having a child with Evelyn. Mm. But there seems to be such a deep bond and connection between those two. And Harry just seems to wander around in a drunken daze after John's death, which I can only imagine is made all the worse by not being able to mourn him publicly. Like his whole life is gone and he can't even tell anybody. He can't even receive sympathy from anyone Mm -hmm. for it. No one can know how devastated he is by the part, the loss of the partner Mm -hmm. that's now just gone. It, ugh. I just felt for him so badly. I agree with you. I was like, oh, maybe we're the only ones who know. Nobody else knows Mm -hmm. that this great little love story existed. Mm -hmm. That's pure loss and pure heartbreak. In a couple chapters prior to this, Monique references how um, if only she had known what the real story had been about with Evelyn. And they leave us on that cliffhanger. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, 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 when she says, you are you don't seem like such a bad person, <laughs> Evelyn. And then Evelyn's yeah. like, you don't. You, don't you of know. all people are going to change your mind about yeah. that. Yeah. I wanted to talk I, about that, I too. Know. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Because now I, I wonder know. if it's related to Harry. Like, I don't know how, but. I have a new theory. Ooh, oh, I would tell. love to hear that. You guys are going to have to go with me on this. I hope it's oh, not. Boy. I'm along for the ride. (laughs) Here's my question. Is it possible? Because I was trying to think what could make she's done so much shitty stuff. What could make Evelyn so fucking awful Mm. that we would all hate her, that Monique would hate her? And I I want to kill her. I want to kill her. Right. Is it possible that there was a second baby that. (gasps) That there was a second baby that was Connor's twin that was born black (gasps) and that Evelyn and Harry made the choice to give up for adoption. We don't know who Monique's father is. We just know that Monique is half. 
Right. But how could and it we, have been a black baby if it were born of Evelyn and Harry? Oh, right. Be- this has actually happened before, though, where there's like a latent gene that then comes to the forefront. And it, it happens in twins, too. There will be a tw- mm. there will be twin babies and one will be black and one will be white. And I thought that would be the most fucking deplorable, horrific action to keep one baby. Oh, Jesus. And give the other one up. And we know nothing about Evelyn or about Monique's father. So I thought, what if he grew up in an orphanage or had like a really horrible upbringing or whatever, but he actually was Evelyn and Harry's child, too? It's far fetched, maybe. But Mm. it it, it was the only thing that could make sense to me in my mind of like a truly hateful, horrible Mm. action. Or what if Monique's dad (laughs) is the seventh husband? Which and they and that kid is the one that died of breast cancer, not Connor, but the other one. But then where's Connor around? You think Connor's still alive somewhere? Oh, okay, yeah, that doesn't make sense because the ta- the tabloids have said like her only kid is dying, right? Or her her only kid has died. Has died. Unless there's this kid who's just seek like held in secret who secrecy. Who they kept a secret? Who they kept a secret? Who's Monique's dad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. No, if Monique's dad had the baby with Evelyn. Oh, and, and Monique they've is been the keeping kid. it. And Monique secrecy. is the kid. But then wouldn't her mom know? Then her mom's in on it too. Oh, this is actually totally different from what I was thinking, but that's more interesting than what I was thinking. <laughs> Wait, but the mom the mom definitely gave birth to Monique. Monique's mother definitely gave birth to her. You know, I'm thinking, okay, let me backtrack. I was thinking, based on what you said, because that's a fascinating theory, is what if Monique's dad was Evelyn's seventh husband? Right. They had a baby together who was biracial, and they kept the baby a secret. So the baby is still alive, who's now not a baby. Somewhere. But has never been publicized. So Monique has a half-sibling yeah. somewhere. That's interesting, Maybe. too. Yeah. I can see that. I do think that there is a very special connection or strange connection between Evelyn and Monique's dad. Yeah. And that's the reason yeah. why. That's always from the get-go I've seen. And I do think right, if it's we all the seventh said husband, Monique's that would dad. be crazy. Well, it's because we don't have any information about Monique's uh, dad. Right. Other than that it was a huge loss for her because she was very much connected to him. Ooh, now I want to go finish reading the book. I well, we know. get to. We get to finish <laughs> reading the book. Well, I feel like I have to take this moment to segue to my question for you two because it is related Please. to Monique, who we have okay. ignored for a yes. while. Yes. <laughs> it's Evelyn's story, really. We know that. Yeah. But the whole, in quotation, scene between Monique and David when he mm, surprises right. her from California to discuss right. the possibilities and how they could maybe make their marriage work. Oh, my God. It was That scene was so sad for me to read. In oh. Brandy's words, it gutted me. <laughs> uh, you know, he David tries to figure out if, if they could make their marriage work by Monique either moving to San Francisco where he is or they could do long distance. Mm. Initially, David had asked Monique to move to San Francisco for him for his career, and she turned that down. 
and because of that, their marriage has suffered major strains. Maybe not because of that choice, but it definitely didn't help. So this need to sacrifice was also a major issue in Evelyn and Celia's relationship, with both of them constantly having to choose between their relationship and their career. Mm-hmm. Have either of you been <laughs> placed in a position where you or your partner had to make a major sacrifice for your relationship? Have you ever had to choose between your career and your relationship, ladies? Oh, Emma. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> this question. Oh, no. No, no, no. Because it's very relevant to things that are happening right now and things that have happened in my relationship with Andrew from the get-go, from when we mm. first got together. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think this is a very pertinent topic to bring up. Um, first of all, I'm very fortunate to have the biggest supporter of me laying with me every night, like being the biggest fan of me Mm -hmm. and my career of my choices and my desires and my dreams. Yeah. But this has been an ongoing discussion. Andrew literally stayed in New York 15 years ago after we graduated college together because we met our senior year of college. He stayed in New York because of me. He knew that for my career, I needed to be here. And that was mm-hmm. when I was a dancer. <laughs> you know, he didn't know how, like, you know, my journey would change. Yeah. But his idea after going to Fordham and the Rose Hill campus was to move back to Boston and see what oh. that would be like. Like, he wanted to be close to his family. That's where he grew up. He wanted to kind of start his life or new stage of life there. But then we fell in love and the rest is history. Luckily, Andrew made a hell of a career for himself here working for three networks and working for the biggest sports. Mm. But I know that he would have not stayed in New York if it wasn't for me. Yeah. So that's always been there. Fast forward 15 years and we're in the midst of still contemplating what's best for our family, for us, for our futures, for our careers. As individuals, and this at times has become like a point of contention, but ultimately, he is my other half, Mm. which as Monique was struggling with David, she realized that David was not. Right. And I would choose, and she says that, and I would choose him, Andrew, any day over what could be for me career-wise. Throughout the years, we've like, we've... Been given the opportunities or at least pose the chances of possibly going to LA, possibly going to Charlotte, North Carolina. And we've contemplated about moving and what could be. But as you two know, during the pandemic, there's been a lot of realizations of what an ideal lifestyle would be like and what a sense of normalcy would be like. And that's so crucial yeah. for us. <sighs> and that tomorrow is not guaranteed and that all we have is the now, the present So (laughs) we are much closer to choosing the location that we will be settling in as a family, a place that we can call home where we can ultimately thrive so he can unleash his dreams or continue to do so. And I will be able to continue pursuing my dreams without much sacrifice, hopefully. Mm. And I want it all. God damn it. Like I was saying before, like I fucking want it all. Yeah. But I'm accepting the fact that that this is not giving up and that this is not a failure for me. 
Right. Yeah. And that loving my husband unconditionally and wanting what's the best for him, if if that would be the case about moving somewhere else, it would be what's ideal. And it would be like why when the first day that we met, he was so supportive of me that I need to do that in return. And not necessarily that I need to. I want to. You want Mm. to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, I B. think Jason and I are really lucky in that we don't want kids. So we don't have to consider anybody but the two of us mm. and, and how dog. many dogs we want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Mr. But I think I think I just know that work is super important to me and such a huge part of who I am as a person and my self-worth as a person. So I can only imagine that work would be that important to my partner you know what I mean like whatever he finds that's important to him has to be as important to him as what my work is to me and I feel like asking somebody to give up what they do I mean it's tantamount to like asking them to cut off a limb like I can do that (laughs) yeah not that I'm saying that that's what you're being at all Mariana no 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 not at all but I I think i I just don't know that there has to be a choice. I think if at some point Jason needed to live somewhere, I think Jason knows I have to live here. I can't mm. even live in L.A., I don't think. If it was for work, sure. sure. But like, I'm not going to move L.A. just to try. I don't like right. L.A. Yeah, you already know that. I need to live here. I like it here. Yeah. And so I think if Jason had to live somewhere else for a little while to, like, you know, explore work options somewhere else, like, I think we could live separately for a little while. Like, I don't sure. think... I don't think it needs to be a like in the box situation. But again, that's because we're lucky enough to know we don't want children. Mm. So it's just us that we have to worry about. Man, I wish I didn't want kids as badly (laughs) as I do. No, you'll be glad once you have them. No. And you have to go with the flow. Like whatever, like as Brandy's saying, it doesn't have to be in the box. Exactly. If you didn't have kids, that wouldn't be fulfilling what you want. So that's, right. you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that would a, whole leave a different other... hole. Yeah. 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 I actually have not had to make any sacrifices for a relationship yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've made sacrifices for my career in every other aspect of my life, you know, like missed weddings, not mm-hmm. socializing, totally. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Ricardo, on the other hand. Yes. Similarly to you, Mariana, mm. made the biggest sacrifice ever by packing up his entire life, leaving his dog behind, selling oh. his horse, oh. his his RV, his family, his oh friends, his home, literally everything, to move across the country to be here with me so that I can pursue this career. Mm. We actually had a really tough conversation about this last week. Mm. Um, he's been really homesick, and he's been talking oh. about wanting to go back to visit for a while since he hasn't been home in almost two years. This fucking pandemic. I mean, I yeah, he could have gone back almost a year ago if it weren't for COVID. Um, and we talked about how America will never really feel like home for him. Oh. I don't think I've gotten emotional on the podcast before. (laughs) Oh, no. You better not be about to drop some, like, crazy zinger or something. No, 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 I'm not. (laughs) Okay. I'm moving. You're both making me nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Emma's not pregnant. She's drinking right now. 
Yeah, <laughs> drinking <laughs> a lot. Uh, no. Um. But, you know, in that conversation, he was really open about how America's never going to feel like home for him. And mm-hmm. that's really hard to hear to and hear. to know that your partner feels that way about where he's living. Yeah. It's not yeah. just New York. It's like the entire fucking country. Yeah. And he hopes that one day we'll move to Italy with our family and, like, raise a family there. Mm. Wow. But he also knows that I can't have the kind of career that I want to if I lived there. Yeah. And it was a really hard conversation and made me really emotional because he did make the huge sacrifice for me. So it doesn't yeah. seem fair that I never return that favor, even though he's never asked me to and he would never mm-hmm. explicitly ask me to return the favor. Right. But I don't want him to be homesick for the rest of his life. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really tough. And he would never ask me to give up my career for him, ever. And he knows what that is. Mm-hmm. But he also knows that in moving somewhere else, it would be inevitable. So it's like, how do you how do you find an even playing ground? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a conversation that we've both swept under the rug several times. <laughs> but I came to the realization in this most recent conversation that if he really needed to move back home, I would go with him, no questions asked. And mm. for the first time, I can say that if I had to give up this thing to be with him, I would. But I also know that if I had to do that, I would lose such a huge part of me right. and my soul. And it, that can never have a positive impact on my health no. and happiness. And yeah, so that becomes course. a whole other thing because then of if course. you're giving that up, it's not me. It's not fully me. You know, like when Celia says to Evelyn, mm-hmm. you can never give that up because then you're not mm-hmm. even going to be the same person I fell in love with. Right, mm-hmm. right. So I think my only option is that I'm going to have to at some point master Italian and nail the language and the dialect <laughs> so that I can move there and be an Italian movie star <laughs> <laughs> with freckles and red hair. I'm going to take them by storm. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> but it's always good to have conversations. And to yes, not, it's, you know. n- it's a necessary At least thing. we're having conversations. Fucking yes, That's Celia. That's right, Celia. Where are you right. at, Celia? <laughs> Communication. Okay, I told you to be on that. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, All yes. right, ladies. All right. Final question. What? Yes, final I want to know, <laughs> after she finally wins her damn <gasps> Yes, 25 <Ooh>. years later. <laughs> Max wow. takes Evelyn to get a burger at Jack in the Box. I want to know, what's your late night, post-Oscar, probably drunk and giddy meal? I'm pretty sure Mariana and I both know yours, Emma. But go ahead. Taco Bell. (laughs) I knew it. What really? For sure, 100% Taco Bell. And if I win an when I win an Oscar. I'm going all the way, and I will not be customizing it to be vegan. I will be getting extra cheese, (laughs) extra sour cream, all the way. What about you, Mariana? I was like, bitch, Jack in the Box? I would go to In-N-Out. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck?" It's true. They're in California. Yeah, they, they have that. Yeah. Wait, but it's a hundred percent. But was the In and Out a thing then? Because this is what the eighties. Oh, but wait, is Jack in the Box even a real place? 
It is. Yes. Are you They're crazy? competing. They compete in California or in the West you Coast. Don't know Jack in the Box, Jack and, in in the the box? box and in and out. Oh, see, I thought they made up Jack in the Box. It was no. supposed to be like an in and out. I've Hilarious. never been to the West Coast, y'all. I'm a little baby. Uh, Jack in the Box in the South, too. It's a okay. Thing. Take Ricardo to the West Coast and see what he. He yeah, thinks. maybe he'll like California. <laughs> you never know. You never know. He would. He would. <laughs> but any, he would. So wait, is In and Out your in answer, Mariana? Oh, a hundred and twenty million percent. Oh wow! Like before, I heard Jack in the Box. Like that burger for like a dollar night. It doesn't even matter the price, but that burger. And they're all smushed. <laughs> he smushes them in between. And you them eat an animal kiss. style. What does that mean? It has like. What does it has that like, mean? Like the special sauce with like oh, pickles yeah. and like extra yeah. cheese. Like, that sounds it good. It is the juiciest thing ever. So, yeah. Oh, I felt that in my I mind. mean, I have to agree with Emma. I'd have to hit up a Taco Bell cantina. Really? I would Wait, need oh, that. What? Really? Yeah, I would have to yes. hit, but it would have to be the cantina because I would probably still want to drink. drink. Like, uh, yeah, a I would Baja need a Blast. Still. Yeah, bitch, whatever they got. I'm going to get that. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know that we shared Greasy the same love for Taco. Taco Bell. Well, we didn't. My first time going to Taco Bell Cantina was for your, your bachelorette. When we went for your bachelorette. Yeah. Really? I did this? You did. Or my bachelorette did this to you? I liked Taco Bell, but I hadn't been since I moved from Texas because I just felt weird about going to Taco Bell in the city. But when we went for your bachelorette, that was the first time I had gone to Taco Bell since I had moved to the city. Literally, like, what, 15, 18 years now? It opened And they had booze. I was, like, sold. Oh, my God. I am so honored that I could do this for you. (laughs) You did it. I have done something right in my life. Exactly. Oh. Alright, y'all. Thank you all so much for listening. If there's something in this book we haven't talked about, or an insight that you have, or gasp, a personal question that you'd like us to answer, shoot us an email at arethesebooksdrunk at gmail.com. An enormous shout out to Joe Zatanna. Yeah, Joe Joe. Yeah. Seriously, he left us a lovely five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for being such a, shall I say, devoted fan. And (laughs) love you, Joe. (laughs) And listening to us on a weekly basis. We appreciate you and the light you share. We hear you and love that you are a part of our gang, quote unquote. So join Joe and let us know what you all think out there. Woo woo woo. Yeah. (laughs) Next week, no surprise, we are finishing the book. Yes. Go read up and then be on the lookout for next week's cocktail pairing on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk? So lyrical. So, <laughs> I feel like I'm singing so that you can read along and sip along with us cause it's, Cause it's always, always happy hour yeah. Yeah. <laughs> dreadful <laughs> woo that was fun <laughs> yeah. alright ladies bye bye, bye.